It's going to feel this morning, if you were here last week, it will feel initially like this is going in a new direction. You'll be like, what, did we start a new conversation? And we didn't. We're not actually starting a new conversation, but uh, it, it might feel that way initially. This is really part of a very long afternoon of preaching that, I, that Christ has been doing, and uh, the, the conversation eventually turns here. Now, in your bulletin, it said we were going to go to 49, but we're, we're not. We're going to just go to 40 today and, and just maybe try to meditate a little more deeply on these five verses. This is what it says in Luke chapter 12, verse 35. Christ says this, Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like men waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the second or third watch of the night, But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. One might say that this is a message on the return of Christ, on the second coming of the Lord, and I'd say you're eh, you're partly right. It's true, it is talking about the return of the Lord, but it's not really about the return of the Lord so much. If you look in my my NIV Bible, actually the the title for this little passage is called Watchfulness. I imagine if, whatever your translation is, I doubt it is the second coming of the Lord, because it's not really about the second coming of the Lord, it's actually about our posture as we await the second coming of the Lord. There's not a lot here that's going to, teach us about Christ and his return, except that it's going to happen and that it's going to be unexpected. That's it. I mean, that's essentially what Jesus says, is I'm going to come again and it will be unexpected. Uh, the teaching otherwise is really to us, the, the listener, the person to whom he's, he's talking. I mean, it's really an instruction uh, to us. And this is the picture that he paints. He, he kind of takes this it's a parable or a metaphor. He takes this picture of a master and the servants of his household. And the picture that he paints is one in which the master is away for the evening at a wedding banquet, and it's late when he returns. And he's saying it would be good for the servants if they were ready for that return, no matter what time of night it was, that they wouldn't be uh, laying down in bed and having to hear him pound on the door to get in but that rather they would be looking out for him and they would see him coming and they would leave the lamp burning so that the moment he would arrive, actually what he says is the moment he knocks, they would open the door, which is a really neat thing to imagine, to have a home of servants so leaning forward that uh, the moment, almost, I almost imagine maybe that he doesn't even get to the door to knock it, that you know, the door's opening the moment he steps to the threshold, that kind of readiness. A little later on it says that it would be good if they were on the watch for him, is what it says. 
Look at 38. It would be good for those servants who master find them ready, even if he comes in the second and third watch of the night. And in 36 it says, so when he knocks, they can immediately open the door. And in 37 it says he's looking for servants who are watching for when he comes. This is a real positive teaching of the Lord. There's no... There's no negative side. I mean, there's probably a negative side of the truth that he's teaching. But in all of his language, it it would be good if you were like this. And then he says it again. It would be good if you were like this. It's It's a positive teaching about what he wants of us. It's kind of ready for service. The first word, dressed, ready for service, it's actually gird up your loins. You know, they would wear those long robes. And the thought is, is that uh, when they were doing work or whatever, they would, there was a way to kind of hike them up, up to the knees so that you could actually do what you needed to do. That's the notion, is, is, is not that the servants kind of have their, their dress all the way down, they're not comf- comfortable. I mean, the thought, I've tried to like, elicit for you a memory of a really good butler, but the only one I can think of is Annie, like Daddy Warbucks, and like Punjab. Do you remember Punjab? But I, I've decided that 60% of this room doesn't know what I'm talking about, and that I just showed that I watched Annie, and so that it would be a total loss. Uh, so that's why I'm not going to talk about that. But, you know, I, you know, I've never actually seen a butler, um, but I hear that they're great. But this, is, this would be the notion is you come and instead of knocking and banging on the door and banging and banging and you hear the servant going, who is it now? And you're like, I'm the master. And this is my home. And I feed them and house them and provide for them. In fact, I redeemed them into my service. And you know, and you can hear the guy scraping his feet across the floor and those ugly slippers, you know, and the big wide pose and he's carrying a lamp and he opens it and there's sleep in his eyes because he's been asleep and you clearly the master has inconvenienced the servant because he showed up late after partying all night or whatever it is. That's not the image. The image is the opposite image. The image is late in the evening when the entire town has gone to sleep. Everybody's asleep. No one's expecting anybody. The the town is a hush. This home leaves the lamp out. Just in case he comes home. That's the image, Christian. Is the lamp is out just in case. And the notion is, is that the head servant is dressed up just in case. And there's another servant watching at the window just in case he comes home. And the Lord adds this teaching that he's going to come, and not only is he going to come at an unexpected time, but he's going to come in what, what might feel like unexpectedly late, which is different. You know, you can come at an unexpected time in the sense that someone doesn't know when you're coming. Like, well, when's the master going to, you know, imagine, you know, two in the afternoon, someone comes to the head servant, hey, when's the master going to be back? And he says, I don't know, I don't know, sometime this afternoon. Well, when the master shows up, it could be unexpected, but it's not unexpectedly late. 
The image here, however, is that not only do they not know when he's going to come, but that he's almost, I mean, the Lord is telling us, I am most certainly going to come when you don't think I'm going to come. When you, if, there is, if there's a window in your life where you are not prepared, I'm coming. That's what Jesus says. In fact, he kind of gives a second image, and I, and I want to draw this out so that it doesn't feel confusing a little bit. In verse 39, he says, but understand this. Now, what he's done, he's doing for a moment, is he's leaving the picture of the master and the servants, okay? So that's the driving image that he's working with. But when he says, but understand this, he's now going to give you kind of a proverbial, almost a colloquial statement, okay? So imagine this. I don't know if it was a common proverb, but let it fall as though it was a familiar kind of truth that he was saying, okay? So he says, but understand this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would have let his, not let his house be broken into. In other words, he's saying that the way I'm going to come is like a thief in the night. I'm going to come when you're not expecting because if you were expecting, I wouldn't come. In fact, he says in 40, you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And this is a challenge because any servant can be ready to receive their master between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. But in the middle of the night, that's a challenge. To be ready in the unexpected times, you just, if, it's, if being ready is something that you're going to do, that you're going to plan to do, if you're going to plan to be ready, I'm telling you, you will not be ready at the unexpected times. The only person who is ready in the unexpected time is the person who is always ready. In other words, if being fit for the king is something that you're doing, you will not be fit for the king when he calls you. But if being fit for the king is something that you are, you'll be fit for the king. That's the difference. If your faith is built on faithful routine, I'm not criticizing that. Okay, I, I'm not. I don't want to say it's less than that. I'm saying it's more than that. If if your faith is, I do this and I do this, and and I'm I'm gonna be ready. I'm gonna do this. I'm just gonna say that you're gonna be. The Lord will corner you at a time. And in a cosmic sense, I think He's talking about the second coming. But in the in there's a true spiritual sense with His Spirit resident among us that the Lord shows up in our lives when we least expect it and some of the times at greatest conviction. It's not something that you can plan to do. It's something you have to work to become. Let me, let me give you an example. So I was in Germany a few weeks back. I was doing an exercise for the, with the, the Air Force. Actually, all of Europe. Um, and part of the Mediterranean. And... Um, Enough about me. I was working with my boss and another peer of mine. My boss was an old navigator from B-52s back in the Cold War era. Okay? Which, if you're much younger than me, if you're five years younger than me, Cold War is like a... 
it doesn't make any doesn't matter to you, okay? If you're my age and older, you know what I'm talking about. Cold War, 40 years after, after World War II, the next 40 years of our, our nation's existence, existed with the finger on the trigger, essentially. And he was part of that. The B-52s were the ones who carried the nuclear bombs that were going to take care of the Soviet Union should the bomb go off. They were the bomb that was going to go off, okay? They would launch... The intercontinental ballistic missiles would launch, and then they would launch, and they would respond to what was missed by the intercontinental ballistic missiles, and then the submarines would surface 30 days later and take care of it again. We would destroy the world three times over, at least three times over. There was this theory, mutually assured destruction. Everyone would die, and the only way that that happened is by them sitting alert, and he sat alert for his entire career in the B-52. It was a career of sitting alert, being ready to go. And the other, my peer that I spent most of the time with was a missileer who sat in a missile silo in F.E. Warren in Wyoming. So I have kind of these, now he's my peer, so he did all of his service after the Cold War, but over here, he was my senior and he had done all of his service in the Cold War and it just reminded us, we had this just vibrant like, conversation of how it used to be. There was a period, in, all the way up until the fall of the Soviet Union, do you know that almost every single day the Soviet Union would take off a big bomber, the bears, they called them, bear. It was a big, ugly bomber. And they would take it off, and they would fly it towards the United States, right over the pole, and they would come down on Alaska. Okay? And we had an entire command in Alaska for this purpose, the Alaskan Air Command. And every, almost every day, if not every day, if not multiple times a day, I don't know the frequency, but it was frequent, very frequent, Every single day, would, they would fly these bombers all the way down, all the way to U.S. airspace, and then they would turn around and go home. Every day, turn around and go home. You know why? Because it took them two hours to get there. And if they lulled us into a stupor over years of doing this, then the day that they just kept going, we'd be two hours behind. So you know what we did every day? Every day that they would launch... We had fighters in Alaska that would launch. And when they would get there, we'd saddle fighters up on the wings and turn them around and send them home. Every day, for 40 years, we did this. Every day, we had crews, crews in alert and people in the bunkers and submarines hiding. Every day, these bombs would take off, and we would go meet them, and they'd turn around and go home. And then the Cold War ended. Like that, it, it ended. So much so that our children... Your children have almost no recollection of what the Cold War means. And then I'm up in Alaska. I'm flying in Alaska. It's 2000. So the Cold War has been over for 10 years. And you know what happened? Russia launched a bomber towards the United States. And it came right down to Alaska. And you know what happened? The U.S. launched fighters that were sitting alert. And we met them and we turned them around. We were still sitting alert to meet that. This is not something that you plan to do. It's something that you are. Because if it's something you plan to do, it will be circumstantial, and the Lord will find you when you're not aware. He's coming, and his return is going to be unexpected. Now, barring, barring this possible exception, okay, I will admit that there is an exception that some people 
in the faith may just be so phenomenally self-disciplined that they through discipline are ready for the master to come at any time. I'd say almost all of us would admit that we are not that person. But assuming you're not that person, which I think is almost all of us, I can only really imagine two conditions that would have a servants of the master in perpetual state of readiness. The first condition is if they have an extreme fear of the master. If the master is a harsh man. And the notion of the consequences that would unfurl were they not ready or just too terrible to imagine, that would create a group of people that were always ready. I would, that's, the cold, that's a Cold War scenario. A Cold War scenario is a scenario going, it, it is not survivable for us to not be on the watch. Okay? That's the first thing. That, that's the first of the two conditions that, that might exist here. The second is this, that, they, that the people, the servants of the master, have such a love and respect for him, such a high affection for him, that they long for his return. And in fact, it's an expression of theirs. They want to, just out of the dignity of their love for him, they want to be ready whenever he should come. That's the other, I would imagine this like a King Arthur scenario, that when the King Arthur is gone, right, the kingdom loves King Arthur so much. There's such an affection for King Arthur. You're proud to wear the insignia of the king. And and, and the whole thought of you want to know when he's 30 miles away coming so that you can align the streets and cut all the roses so that they can be thrown on the path and all the flags can be unfurled and the gates and the trumpets and you want to turn the whole town out. So you always have someone watching for that king because he's such a great king. And it would be shameful in your heart to know that he came and he didn't know. That's what I think the Lord is talking about. Is is he not that great? Is he not that good? In between these two extremes is an ocean of people who will be ill-prepared at one level or another. Their own concerns and their own life will rise to the top. Yeah, no, no, the purpose of a servant is to serve the master. That's the purpose of the servant. But we also realize that all servants have a life of their own. Servants aren't robots, they're people. And so, you know, when the master's gone, the tendency sometimes is for your own self-concerns to rise above the purpose for which you are living. And in that, there's an ocean of people who, through their own tiredness or fatigue or desire for rest and comfort or... Here's a thought. You begin to subtly think, he hasn't come yet. So the chances of him coming on my watch... I mean, it hurts to think that, but we think that, don't we? At times, the reality is, is the Lord knows all and sees all, so there's a sense in which he's always coming because he always sees us in our state of repair or irrepair. There's a forgetfulness sometimes that we exist solely for the master. You know, there's a sense if you are the head master, and we'll talk about this more next week, if you were the head servant, in the home of your master, the steward of his estate, and he's gone all the time, there's a sense where you start to sit in his seat sometimes. 
enjoy. Look at the food as though the food really shows up to feed the servants, but it doesn't. The home is for the master, and the servants are for the master, and the master is responsible for the servants, but their purpose is for the master. But when time goes, we begin to repurpose ourselves when we don't see the Lord or feel the Lord, as though we are the ends of our own life. But he's coming, and he's good. I'm going to read verse 37. This is, first of all, I didn't, where was this two weeks ago? This wasn't even in the Bible, I feel like, until this week. Just listen to this verse. It's my new favorite verse. It will be good for those servants who master, whose master finds them watching when he comes. Now listen to this. This is, by the way, this is Jesus telling you about himself. So you want to just be loved on by Christ? Listen to this. I tell you the truth. He will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. Like you cannot serve a better master. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying, if I could find like a people that would leave the light out for me and would wait for me with passion when I show up, man, I will love on them. That's the master we serve. He's saying that about himself to us. He's saying like that he's not role reversing. He's not becoming the servant. He, the master, is he's, he's elevating us. He's not putting himself lower. He's bringing us up. It, imagine at the Last Supper when he washes his disciples' feet. He's saying that my love is expressed through the way I serve and sacrifice for you. He's saying, I do things for you because I love you. There is this, this elevated nature of the way Christ loves us that takes us when we are nothing and makes us servants. And then he takes us as servants and he elevates us to brothers and sisters in him. Does it not say in the word, it says in Colossians, that we will be sons of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you hear that elevation? You will be elevated to a child of the Lord like Jesus and a co-heir in the inheritance of God like Jesus. The way of the Lord is a way of bringing us up. And that's his nature here. This is the gospel in my mind. This is the cross. This is the cross of Christ. That Jesus Christ would come to earth and that he himself would give of his entire personhood. That he would humble himself even from his glorious estate to take on the person of a man, to take his immutable attributes and place them on the shelf and to suffer and die in a humble and lowly righteous way, silent before the shears of the sheep. That he would take himself and he would allow himself to be placed upon the cross so that he could die for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole earth. That he could offer the redemption of all of creation through his sacrificial effort. That is what he's saying about himself. If you would just watch for me, I would die for you. So here's the dilemma I find. In a moment, I'm going to share with you 
some practical ways. So if you said to me, what does it mean to have our lamp on and be dressed ready for action? What does that actually mean? And well, in a moment, I'm going to share what I think are some helpful ways to think about that. But that is not the source of vigilance. That's not what makes you a good watchman, to know how to watch. You and I both know that you're not going to look out for a master that you don't love. There's a sense, there's a sense that it's our motivation, it's our affection to the Lord that makes us a good master. And everything else, everything else is tips and techniques, right, on how to be a better follower of Christ. But the reality is, if you don't truly love the Lord, you're not going to look out for him. You're not going to be ready for him. You're going to be caught unaware. You're going to be challenged with the way that he confines you and, and, and corners you. It's going to happen. You're going to, you're going to be ill-prepared. If you're here this morning and you think to yourself, just stop and think for a second, if Christ had come at any other moment than right now, you would have been asleep at the wheel. Like, is this the spiritual moment of your week? Or is this a spiritual moment in your week? Is this one of many? And I don't mean one of 52. I mean one of many in the week? Or is this the moment? Is this, is this how God's supposed to recognize you? Because I'm just going to say he's not, I can't say this with the authority of the Lord, but I would put money in Vegas that he's not coming on Sunday morning. Just from what he's saying here. If you're you, if if you're this person who says, I agree, like for me, what the break, the dilemma is, I don't know if I'm a good enough servant of this master. I don't know if, if that relationship is the kind of relationship, and that's why I feel like I'm convicted under the scripture. That's why I'm, I feel kind of hard pressed when I read this. If that's you, this is, I have to ask or, or help diagnose things in a different way. It isn't about tips on how to be a good watchman. It's this. Either A, you do not see him as the master. So I'm just asking you, if you're this kind of person, do you not see the Lord as the master? Or as a good master? Or do you not see yourself as a servant? Do you bulk at that that idea, right? And there's many pictures in Scripture, but this is a valid one. The thought of you being a servant the thought of your purpose in life being to edify the master. Like if you reject that, then at least you can diagnose for yourself where you're wrong. Where, where the Lord would say, I have, I have a beef with you. Here's another one. Do you not have a, a regard for what he's done in your life or what he will do in your life? Or do you have such a caring and tender love for yourself that you're having to choose between two masters? If that's you, I think rather than talking about how to keep your lamp lit and your loins girded ready for action, I would say this is probably what you need to, maybe how you need to approach your faith. Number one, I would say, I would encourage you to gather around the story of the cross more fervently. I'm just saying to you, if you're here this morning and you're going, I like Christ, but I don't think I love the Lord, 
or I want to follow, but I know I'm not yet a follower, I would say begin to make the story of the cross the centerpiece of the way you think about Christ. That, that Just push that, push that to the center. Whatever time you're going to spend in spirituality, I would say meditate on the cross of what Jesus Christ has done. You cannot fervently fixate your thoughts on the cross of Jesus Christ without coming to some major conclusions about his love for you and about your need for him. The second thing I would do is this. I would say take an honest accounting of your sin. I mean, heap it up high. Sit down. And account. And I'm not, just, I'm not trying to create like a big old guilt trip that drives you to the cross. That's not what I'm trying to do. In fact, if you're here this morning and you're thinking, well, I could never do that because that would just, just, just too hard. How could I possibly do that? I'm saying, well, that's because you've misidentified the master. You can't do it because you don't think he's a good God. That's what I'm challenging you with is if he truly is the kind of loving master that's promising, when I come back, I'm going to recline you at the table. I'm going to put your feet up and I'm going to serve you. If he's that kind of master, then you can, in fact, heap your sins a mile high. You can expose all your sinfulness before the Lord and say, this is the full compass of all I've done to offend thee because you know that the Lord himself has said, I know. I know. I hung on the cross for you. I died for that. I loved you when I saw that and have pulled you out of that. If you cannot account for your sins before the Holy God, then you, you have the wrong God. Because our God is a God of mercy. And we would not be talking about him had he not come to save us. And then I would say this. Do you take time to recognize God in your day? Like, there, ah, that was, that was the Lord. Answered prayers. Do you pray prayers into the wind and then they're gone? And then when the Lord answers them, do you not identify them as answers? There's a sense that we need to see what God has done for us on account, despite our sin and what he continues to do for us. And I would say, that should be your meditation. That's what you should spend your time on. To everybody else who's ready as though any of us are. I will end with this. I will offer you some thoughts as to what does it mean to be ready. And again, I, I should say, I, there is a sense where this, there's a finality, kind of an end times finality that Jesus Christ will, will really come one day and will really arrive on this earth. I believe that. The scriptures teach it. I'm, but there's also a sense, by the way, there's a sense that God knows our constant state of readiness. And so in this, this is what I would say. And, and the first one, I don't want to say, I'm saying purely out of commitment. You should live a holy life. Like there's nothing in me that wants to tell you that. Because I don't want to do it. Uh, I don't want to admit it. I'm frustrated by the reality of it. It is the hardest thing for the Lord to ask of us is to be holy. It is hard. If you, I mean, I can think back this week to several times where I desperately, desperately would have regretted if the Lord had shown up. Like, dear God, please do not come now. Because God wants us to be holy. And we want to be so many other things. I'm just telling you. We want to be anything but holy. 
I'd much rather be effective than holy. You'd rather me be effective than holy. We would much rather be funny than holy. We would much rather have the answer to prayer than to pray. But Christ, the Lord says, be holy as I am holy. Holiness, becoming holy, is ready. Coming to a place where I desire to be in a place where inside I'm always singing the hymns, like the hymns of my childhood, that they're always singing, and that I look forward to tender hours of prayer. I don't right now. I pray because I have to pray, because I know I'm supposed to be holy. Like, but I'm getting there, right? When you get to the place where you want to do the thing, you want to want something. Get to that, and that's one step on the way to holiness. The Lord, if the Lord is going to come when you least expect him, he will come after you have torn into the kids before school. Just tell yourself, that's when he's coming. If the Lord is going to come when you least expect him, he will come after you have spent time on the computer that you should not have spent time on. That's when he's coming. If the Lord is going to come when you least expect him, he's going to come when you've made a difficult, a poor financial decision or you've made a selfish move about your marriage or you've glorified yourself once again. You've had to brag or you've had to use poor humor to try to maintain popularity or whatever it is, whatever your thing is, whether you gossip, whether you're impatient, whether you're idle, whether you're sloth, whatever it is, that's when the Lord's coming. So be holy. And you can't be holy unless you love the master and you want to be like him. And you can't be that until you resonate and meditate on the cross and you pile your sins a mile high and you say, Jesus, you took it. You took it. And you do it again. You got to do that before you can be holy. And you got to be holy before you can be ready. In addition, I'd say a life where your daily goals and your long-term spiritual goals are essentially the same. If you're telling me that right now you're a lame Christian, but one day you're going to be a missionary, I'm going to say, well, you're not ready now. I'm not saying that you need to be perfect now, but we want to grow towards the Lord in increasing measure. We don't want to trans transform ourselves the day before he comes. And I'll say this last thing, that to be ready is a life lived with somebody else. Nobody sits alert by themselves. Nobody. Because they fall asleep. That's just how it is. If you think that you can be ready for the Lord and holy in his sight by yourself, I'm telling you that is a lie of the devil. And we have no part of that.